Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Uh, welcome to the Living Free Show on 3CR Community Radio, 855 kilohertz on your AM dial. I'd like to acknowledge the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, traditional owners of the land from which 3CR transmits people-powered radio. Hi, I'm Bill, and each week on the Living Free Show, we showcase one of the 12-step programs that assist recovery from drugs, alcohol, gambling and food addictions. Our guests share the recovery story and highlight that shared experience saves lives. Due to coronavirus restrictions, I'm interviewing from home via Zoom, so I'd like to welcome Ange to the show. Hi, Ange. Hi, how are you going, Bill? Good, thank you. Uh, Ange is a compulsive gambler, and she's recovering with the help of Gamblers Anonymous. Uh, so, Ange, we usually start talking about family and growing up. So what was what was growing up like for you? Um, I suppose, you know, at the time you just you don't think about what your life is. Your life's just your life. And uh, I suppose if I was honest, I'd say my life started a bit oddly to most of my um, friends and cohorts. Um, my My parents were divorced when I was about five and then my my father remarried and he remarried a widow who had three boys and I had two brothers and then my mother remarried and she married an Englishman who had a child but they were living in England so we were kind of a little bit of a Brady bunch um so weekends were spent with my dad and my stepmother and my three stepbrothers um, and I was the only I was the only girl, so I was a bit spoiled, I suppose. And um, we would go every weekend with my dad, my stepmother, and the six kids. We'd go to Cape Otway, um, and we would walk down to the Parker River, and we would camp. My dad had a permanent tent site down there. So, as a child, I had a very um, unrestricted, adventurous life. We were able to, you know run around, swim, fish, go spearfishing, climb up in trees and do, you know, pretty much anything we wanted as long as we sort of back before dark. Um, Sounds pretty fantastic. Yeah, it was. It was. I, you know, like I said, you didn't really appreciate what you had at the time. It was just the way it was. Um, my, my, my parents that were divorced were always very amicable, so there was never any animosity or... Um, you know, unpleasantness as far as any of that went. Um, my my three stepbrothers and my the the six of us kids we're all still really close. Um, there's probably we're all pretty similar in ages, so there's only a year between me and my two brothers, and the others were the same. So, you know, it was just a kind of a, a tidy fit, I suppose. Um, so. Yeah, the only other kind of remarkable thing I suppose that happened to me when I was younger was um, that when I was 17, my my mother and my stepfather and my two brothers and I, we went to South Africa to live for 18 months and, you know, that was, that was really quite um, an incredible experience because up until then I'd never even been on an aeroplane, you know, or anywhere. <laughs> Other than, you know, I don't even think I'd been, I've been to New South Wales and I may have been to South Australia. Um, and then I was travelling across to the other side of the world to a very foreign, amazing experience. So that was great. Um, and, but other than that, like, you know, everything else I, I suppose was, was, was pretty ordinary. Okay. Uh, was there any alcohol, drugs or gambling when you were growing up? Um, my parents, particularly my dad, um, he, he, he was a big drinker, always a big drinker. Um, and, you know, for a long time I thought he was an alcoholic, but now, now he's nearly 87 um, and he's still a big drinker. But I don't, you know, there's been times when he's been unwell and he's had to go into hospital and things like that and he's never ever thought about a drink. So I don't think he, I think he was, he's alone, he's been a lonely person and it's been his solace. So he and my stepmother were both big drinkers. Um, so as I said, my, I have a brother who's in um, AA, a younger brother and an older brother who I believe is probably um, both an alcoholic and a drug addict. 
um, and he lives a very unhappy life. Uh, my my husband's in AA, and I could see, you know, the value in the life that he was living, and the same with my brother. So, yeah. But other than my mother, was never never was a drinker really, and on her side of the family, there was no. I think there was an aunt or an uncle back in Scotland who, you know, might have been an alcoholic and her father never drank at all. And uh, so there wasn't, that wasn't prevalent. Certainly no drugs. Very straight as far as that was concerned. Um, so what about going to school and friendships and things like that? Yeah, um, I had an interesting time because when my parents split, um, my mother moved from house to house. So I went, when I was in primary school, went to about five different primary schools. So friendships were, um, I don't have sort of any long-term friendships from when I was younger. When I got to high school, I went to the same school until I went to South Africa in the second last year of my high school year. Um, and so, you know, I had great friendships then. And, and um, you know, I lived in Torquay and it was pretty fun. You know, summer was spent at the beach with all my mates and, um, my girlfriends and yeah, so they were all good. And then when I went to South Africa, I made some lovely friends there. So I've always been happy in in friendships. You know, I've always had lovely friends. Yeah, very, very blessed yeah. with. Okay, uh, what about relationships? Yeah, I've had. Um, well, I've been married now to my husband for thirty two years. Um, we were together before that for seven more. <laughs> Um, so I'd have to say that's, you know, that's a very long relationship. Uh, I had, um, um, you know, boyfriends as I grew up, but, uh, none of any great longevity like that, you know, probably a year or two or whatever. So, and, uh, is that the sort of relationships you're talking about? Like, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. So, um, when did gambling sort of become an issue or when, when we were introduced to gambling, I guess, would probably be a better question. I went on a holiday with my husband. He wasn't my husband at the time. And um, we went up to Mildura and across the river was, anyway, you could go over there and play the pokies. And um, up until then, I'd never seen a poker machine or played a poker machine. And um, so he and I went over there and we'd had a few drinks and you know, we started playing the pokies and then we just did a holiday just along the river and we stopped along the way and sort of every New South Wales town had clubs and poker venue, pokey venues and things like that. And um, we were on our last night. I think we were in probably Aubrey and um, we went out to... The, we, we didn't have a lot of money at those back then and um, so we had enough money for us to stay in a motel and get petrol home and then we went to the pokies and then we ended up with we didn't have any money left we had enough money to sleep in the back of the car and have a pizza <laughs> so we had one coin left on our we were playing the poker machine and it was back with our one arm bandits and you we won a hundred dollars on our very last and you weren't allowed to leave the machines with the jackpot showing you had to have another coin to, to, to pull it off we didn't have one so somebody gave it to us and we went, anyway, we went $100 and we hooked into a motel and went out for dinner and, um, you know, it was, it was great fun. And uh, I think from then on I was, I was hooked, but I didn't really, other than on occasions, gamble. And I suppose I always liked it from then. I liked it. And then over the years it was never an issue. I just used to... I always liked it. And so if there was an opportunity to go and play the pokies, then I would enjoy it. Um, you know, we had friends we used to go when you had to play, when you could only play them in New South Wales, you know, we'd go up there and the boys would all play golf and the girls would go and do their thing. And then we'd, we'd always end up at the club and I always played the pokies then. And I suppose I, I thought it was really odd when I was playing the pokies one time and I thought I never want to stop doing this this is something I could do for the rest of my life. I could just sit here and play the pokies forever. Yeah, that's, an unusual, that's an unusual feeling. It was, and it wasn't a very healthy thought. And I, I, I suppose I recognised that it wasn't a healthy thought. Um, 
but it also wasn't an option. You know, there was no possibility of me sitting there for the rest of my life. You know, I had two kids and um, and job and, you know, <laughs> had to go home. So uh, I, um, but whenever, whenever the opportunity was arose, I would always like to play. And when they introduced the pokies into Victoria, obviously I could, I could play more often. And I was only thinking about that today and thinking about how, um, you know, the times when, you know, I should have realised that I had a problem, but I didn't, which one of which was, um, you know, my husband being an alcoholic, he was often unwell and incapable of looking after our children. But sometimes I would think, well, he can be responsible and I would leave the kids with him. And, and so then I would go off and gamble and when I'd come home, I'd realise that I'd left the kids with someone who really wasn't able to look after them when they were even quite small. And um, that was a terrible thing to do, to leave them with him when he couldn't look after them. Fortunately, um, and probably just luckily, nothing, nothing ever happened. The kids were always okay, but I think often they'd look after him. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I, and then, you know... As I went on over time, you know, be, I would only gamble when I'd go on holidays or, you know, sometimes we were lucky enough we'd go to be invited to the races. You know, I enjoyed having a bet on horses, but it was never the same for me as it was the pokies. But having said that, if the pokies weren't there and the horses had been all I could have gambled on, probably that's all I would have gambled on. But um, no, the pokies were my, my problem. So with, with, with the gambling, when you said you went and left your kids with your husband, so often gamblers talk about trying to get away, trying to avoid thinking about something that's worrying them. So what was worrying you at that point that gambling was an attraction to get away from? Um, oh, I would say, you know, having an alcoholic husband, yeah. most likely. <laughs> that's enough. <laughs> um, and, and while he was, you know, I was, he was an alcoholic, high-functioning one, you know, he had a fantastic job. Um, he was always a wonderful person and he was never a nasty, nasty drunk. Um, but he became a, you know, a blackout drunk eventually. And, uh, yeah, I suppose I wanted to escape that. I wanted to... Um, I wanted to be selfish like he was. That's how I felt. You know, I feel like I was wanting to punish him for making me responsible for everything all the time. And, he, you know, he couldn't help it. He was sick. Um, but that didn't stop me feeling that kind of, I suppose, justification for my bad behaviour. Yep. So did you seek help for his alcoholism? No, I didn't. I did try to get him to go to detox centres and things like that. But we didn't, he wouldn't go to AA at first. He refused. My brother was obvious, my brother hasn't had a drink for 25 years and he wanted and, 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 and would invite Graham to go, but he wouldn't, he wouldn't attend. He said he didn't need it. And I knew that Al-Anon was available to me. However, I, the only, I did go to Al-Anon once, the only reason I went was because I wanted someone to help me help Graham. And um, so when I went along and saw that that wasn't the kind of support that they were offering, it was more about me, I felt that I didn't need that help. I felt that I, I was coping. And, you know, I suppose I was for a while. Looking back, do you think you were? Yes, I think so. I think so. And, um, you know, the kids, things kind of got more and more difficult as the children got older with the drinking and um, they became a lot more aware because, you know, often they'd be in bed early or he, and, and, and the drinking kind of escalated over a long period of time. He wasn't, um, you know, during the week he didn't, wasn't an alcohol, alcoholic, if you like, and during the weekend he was, he, he, you know, the party boy. But, uh, yeah, so, okay, sorry, where were we? Um, yeah, we were just talking about seeking help for your... For you, rather than yeah. your husband, yeah. Um, I did go at one stage to, um, there's a local uh, community support group in, in Geelong called Bethany, and I went, did go there seeking help. And 
and and I did stop gambling for a while, but you know that my what I would call my <clears throat> self rewarding mentality would would rear its head again, and I'd go back to the gambling. Okay. Um... So how did it impact your family life? Well, I've spoken to my children about that. And as far as I'm concerned, it didn't have an impact on them. And obviously, as I said to you, having left the kids, and when I say I left the children with my husband, when, he, when I, you know, that didn't happen. That would have happened maybe three times in the whole time they were growing up. It was never a, a weekly or a daily occurrence. I think things kind of escalated in both my husband and my bad behaviour when um, our daughter was 17 and was diagnosed with cancer in her at the end of her year 11 year, um, and he had not he he um, and probably six months after that his mother died my my mother-in-law and uh, my husband just he didn't cope with any of that and um, he. His, his drinking became a lot worse. And then, you know, I, at, at, when my daughter was in the middle of her treatment, I, um, I stopped work for a period of time to look after her. Um, and then when she was well enough to go back to school, I would use that time to sneak off and play the pokies. And, and one time she fainted at school and they rang me as I was on my way to a venue. And the only thing I could think of was, how I wasn't going to be able to go and gamble. Not, I hope she's okay, you know. Yeah. <laughs> it's quite telling, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, well, listen, we might take a short break there. So today I've got a couple of Casey Chambers numbers and the first one's called um, Not Pretty Enough. So I'll play that right now. Is my heart too broken? Do I cry too much? Am I too outspoken? Don't I make you laugh? Should I try it harder? Why do you see right through me? I Try hard 
Fitzroy Legal Service has launched a free information and advice phone service for people who have been stopped, questioned, fined or charged for breaching the new COVID-19 restrictions. Have you been fined or charged under the new laws or stopped and questioned by police for being outside? Call 0434 136 501. Weekdays between 9am and 5pm. That's 0434 136 501. Or head to fitzroy-legal.org.au for more information. You can also report incidents at covidpolicing.org.au. Fitzroy Legal Service is a 3CR supporter. Get lost in science. Tune in to 3CR every week to hear Beth, Chris and Stuart discuss news and issues from the universe that is science. Get informed and learn a bit more about the world around you. Lost in Science can be heard every Thursday at 8.30 in the morning and is repeated the following Tuesday at 6am. Word to the nerd. You can also download a podcast. Go to the website at www.3cr.org.au and get lost in science. Uh, This is The Living Free Show on 3CR, 855 kilohertz on your AM radio dial and 3CR on digital radio. If you're interested in listening to one of our many podcasts, then either head to your preferred podcast provider or just Google 3CR Living Free. On our show's webpage, you'll find details about The Living Free Show and how you can contact us. Alternatively, you can call 3CR office on 0394198377 and leave us a message. Today I'm talking about compulsive gambling with Ange and we're talking about recovery through Gamblers Anonymous. So Ange, did your family notice that you're a bit distracted? They never said so. Certainly at the very end, (laughs) Um, my husband was just, you know, telling me that I was... um, totally distracted all of, all of the time. I never had the iPad out of my hand. Um, you know, even while I was sitting watching TV, I'd be gambling. Um, and, okay, so uh, you're gambling online? At the, yeah, at the end. Well, do you want to talk about how you progressed from gambling in venues to gambling online? Sure, sure. So I had, um, I had discovered that there were gaming um, devices Oh, apps, apps. Yeah. yeah, on 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 phones and iPads, and so and they were free, all free. So I thought, wow, well, that's great. You know, I can just play this. I don't have to go to a venue. I can just play online, which you know I did for a little while, and then and then I was playing one time, and I thought, oh, I'm not really want to stop playing now. I wonder what I'd do now if I want to play some more. And of course, you know, you can buy credits. So I would buy a few $10 worth of credits and that had kept me amused for a while. And over time, I realised that the gambling had nothing really to do with whether I was winning money. It was just about the gambling itself. It was it was its own machine. I um, So I was buying credits where I would never... I was spending money when I could never win any money back. And, um, and, you know, first it started off to be only a few dollars and then it was more and more and then I would convince myself that spending, say, $50 on credits, I would get more entertainment out of that $50 than I would if I went to a venue where I'd spend, you know, four times as much and probably last half the time. So I had completely convinced myself that what I was doing was, 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 a, was a much better decision to stay at home and just play online. Yeah. My understanding is that you can't actually win on those um, online gambling. You can never actually take it out. That's right. Never yeah. win. Yeah. And, I, so I, and I knew that. <clears throat> okay. It was, so that was when I realised it, it wasn't about the money. It was all about the escape. And that was really all I wanted to do. So and at the very end, I was probably gambling into the night, I would tell my husband that I couldn't sleep and so I'd go into another room so I could sit in there and continue to, to play online, um, sometimes till three in the morning, um, then get up and go to work and come home. As soon as I walk in the door, I'd pick it up 
pick up the phone, um, the iPad and if he were, was going off to the supermarket or to walk the dogs from the moment that he pulled out of the driveway until the time, until the time he returned, I would have been sitting there just playing on it and doing nothing else other than that. Just yeah. completely, complete and absolute waste of time. <laughs> so did you, did you find it, uh, you must have found it relaxing in some way. I think I found it was the escape, the ultimate escape of, you know, you didn't have to think about anything. You don't, you didn't think about, you know, what was for dinner or going to the supermarket or going to work or anything. It was just completely brainless, mindless, numbness. And I think that's something that most gamblers are looking for. Yeah. So it must have had an impact on your social life, your interactions with others. Well, I think what what happened um, as we progressed through this, my husband became sicker and sicker. Uh, he's he's now hasn't had a drink for nearly six years, but I suppose that time when he was at his sickest was when I started to really escalate in my gambling, and I was I was lonely, you know, because he was absent. He was he was drunk from pretty much the time he woke up in the morning, and he'd be in bed by seven o'clock, and so I could do whatever I wanted to. I could go anywhere, and he would never know. He was he was oblivious, so so he didn't notice that I wasn't there. What about the kids? Well, they'd left home by then. My 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 kids are both independent adults. Um, so it was just the two of us. We'd been renovating a home that we bought. We were living in the house while we were renovating, and my daughter was living in in Weeper with her partner, and uh, my son was living in Melbourne. And um, yeah, I, I, I think, I do think I was, was very lonely and I found that it was an escape from my loneliness. Yeah. So what about friends? Did you have any friends at that point? Yeah, yeah. I've got the same friends that I've had for the last 30 years and they're still my friends, thankfully. Yeah. So and, what, uh, what did they think or didn't they know? No, I don't think it, well, I think they all knew that I loved to have, a, I loved the pokies, but they had no idea that I was, you know, they wouldn't have a clue that I was, you know, gambling as often as I was. And because my husband was often too unwell to go out for dinner or he was my, he would be, I, I would either go on my own or I wouldn't go and then I could go and do something else and I could use him as an excuse not to socialise with my friends as much as I would have in the past. So you, you, you're gambling online for long periods, um, so is it having a, a mental taking a mental toll on you? Oh, I couldn't sleep. Sleeplessness was awful. Um, you know, you go to try and go to sleep, and your your head would just be spinning with the noises and the the spinning wheels and all of those things. So kind of over um, hypersensitive to all of those sorts of things, and um, so I wasn't sleeping. You know, and and then I wasn't well, so that was kind of, who knows, whether the gambling and all that, I don't know, kind of after a while becomes so stressful. You know, the beginning it was fun, but then because it becomes so all-consuming that that becomes its own stress and, you know, just hiding from everybody how badly I was behaving and all of those things, are they exhausting, you know? I was. I think I was just exhausted. <laughs> yeah, you mentioned you weren't well. So what? What was the problem? Um, so I, two and a half years ago, I was diagnosed with breast cancer. Um, my husband was by then. He's been sober for probably two and a half years. My gambling was pretty, gotten quite chronic, and particularly in the last bit when I had surgery and I was. At home, and and so my my um, ability to convince myself that I deserved to do whatever I wanted to was was you know <laughs> I'd found the perfect excuse. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, but uh, yeah, so I wasn't well. When I say I wasn't well, I was well. I I didn't feel sick. I didn't have growing inside me, and uh, that had to be dealt with. Yeah. So if, if your husband was 
sober for two and a half years at that point. That must have changed your relationship, surely. He became a lot more aware of my behaviour. And yeah. uh, I didn't particularly like that. <laughs> oh, yes, it certainly changed everything, you know. We were always lucky because we were always friends. And, you know, our friendship sustained us through what was a really terrible time. And, you know, I think he, he could see that I was sick with the gambling and he would say, you know, you've got to go and get some help. And I would just ignore him. <laughs> like I was ignoring all the my brains telling me I needed to do the same. And then, yeah, so one day he, he'd taken the dog for a walk and I'd, we, I got to the stage where he was, he was so concerned he told me that, you know, he, that he really thought that I was very sick and I needed to stop all the gambling. So I, I, I said to him that I'd deleted all the apps off my iPad and when I told him that I wasn't gambling anymore, I wasn't, that was only half the truth. I was, I was still gambling. I wasn't buying any credits. I was just playing online for free. And he came back one day and when I wasn't looking, picked up the iPad and found that I had all these apps kind of hiding in the background. Anyway, and he just burst into tears and said that, um, <laughs> sorry, he, um, <clears throat> he couldn't believe, he said he couldn't understand what he'd done to make me so unhappy that, and that people who gamble were really unhappy people. So <laughs> that was pretty much the turning point. Um, we took the iPad out and smashed it up with a hammer and um, I gave him all my credit cards and ATM cards and things. And uh, the day that I had my last um, radiotherapy session, I, I went to my first GA meeting and, um, yeah, and then kind of everything's been much better since then, obviously. I'm you know, much happier person and my my relationship with my husband is fabulous and my children are wonderful and they've all, all everybody's been always very supportive. So I came out and told all my friends, um, we know, all my close friends anyway, about the gambling and how sorry I was that I might, may have been a crappy friend and, and absent. And they were all, they were all wonderful. And they all kind of just accepted that and forgave me, I suppose, is the best only way to put it. <laughs> well, I think people generally are interested in your well-being and I think that's the thing, that people are very interested in, you know, you getting better and doing something about your problems. Yeah, that's true. That's yeah. true. But isn't that what we want for everybody? Unfortunately, you know, some of us don't see the, what is it, we don't see the... The forest for the trees, yeah. That's it, the forest yeah. for the trees. Yeah, everybody wants the best for everybody else, but we rarely see it for ourselves. It's it's that, yeah. So how much influence do you think denial played when you were, because part of, part of um, having this second life, this hidden life, is that we have to be dishonest with people. And once you're dishonest with other people, it's eventually you're dishonest with yourself. Yes. Um, and so at what point did you start, you know, questioning your own motives? I would say when, when my husband was, when he was really sick and, you know, I was going off and playing the pokies when he was asleep and, you know, that was, that was definitely a turning point in how denial can work for you. That and self-reward, rewarding yourself that's at least how you convince yourself in your denial that, that you deserve it. You deserve yeah. to do what it is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, listen, we might take another short break there. And this one is by Casey Chambers as well, If I Were You. I've been crushed like paper I've been washed like rain I've been scared of sleeping In case I wake up the same I've been broken and battered 
Food Co-op is open. Get fresh produce and support local farmers and keep our grassroots community thriving through these unusual times. Organic veggie boxes and click and collect now available. Visit www.foefood.org slash click collect to place your orders. Or pop in store at 312 Smith Street and see how we're adapting with our new physical distancing layout. Shop organic and buy local. Made easy at Friends of the Earth. A proud 3CR supporter. Join me, Aya Cry with Ubuntu Voices, Wednesday at 8.30pm on 3CR. Ubuntu is a Zulu word, meaning I am here because you are. Ubuntu celebrates the positive contribution African Australians make to our communities in music, academia, the arts, and everything in between. Come with me on a journey. Ubuntu Voices, every Wednesday at 8.30 p.m. Uh, this is the Living Free Show on 3CR on digital radio and live streaming on 3cr.org.au forward slash streaming. 
and I'm talking with Ange about recovering from compulsive gambling with the help of Gamblers Anonymous. So Ange, uh, taking it back to that point where your husband realised that you were gambling and you said you weren't, what was it like for you then, realising that you'd been found out? What, what did you have to do to try and, I guess, placate him? And what triggered you to seek help? Well, I could, in a way, when, he, when I was discovered, it was, in a way, it was a kind of a relief because it made me address the issue and it forced my hand. I probably was fed up and ready, ready to change and, and to, to try and improve my life because I, I realised I, I had hobbies, I had things I liked to do that I was just wasn't doing any of them. You know, I do ceramics and I, I, couldn't, find it, I couldn't find time to do anything because all I had time for was to gamble with any free time I had. Yeah, so, you know, I just was ready to, to change my life around because I, and I felt that having my last radiotherapy was an opportunity for a fresh, a fresh start. And so I simply looked up when the next GA meeting would be um, there was one, I live in the city in Geelong and there was one within walking distance of where I live because my husband also has his meetings on a Thursday so there was an issue about me actually getting there so, you know, it felt like everything came into line. I, Yeah, so I found out when the meeting was and I walked in there and, you know, it was pretty confronting. But um, Yeah, so what's it like at, at your first meeting? My first meeting... It was interesting because my home group has very few women attend it and I think there was one other woman maybe in the room and possibly about eight or nine men. So that was a bit interesting. (laughs) I thought, oh, maybe. The other thing that struck me when I went to the meeting was that how few people were there and I, I, I thought to myself, well, surely we can't be the only compulsive gamblers in Geelong. Like, there was probably 12 people. So that that was a bit of a shock. Um, I didn't do much talking. I did a fair bit of listening. Uh, there were people at um, my meeting who had a lot of years of, um, you know, not gambling. And I think that I take my hat off to them particularly because, you know, they they still come and I think they come really so that people who are new can see that success is possible. And um, so one particular story on the day of my first meeting was told by Jim and he had had a bet for over 20 years and he was, I don't know, so so well-spoken, so able to communicate his story to me. It felt like, you know, he was saying it for me and I'm, and I'm quite sure that, that that may have been true. But I sat there and listened and everybody in the room had the same story as I had pretty much. Um, so I felt not only a sense of relief, a sense of that I'd found, I'd found the right place that I should be in this room. Um, these people understand me. I didn't feel judged. I just felt welcomed and and for the first time I didn't feel alone. So. <laughs> alone in my shame I suppose so it was it was wonderful it was a great feeling and a great relief a really really great relief so did you want to come back yes yes and I and having seen my husband's success in the 12-step program I knew that going back was the only way that it would be a success so I have had to keep going back so I remember one of the men in the room said how, you know, he had had been coming, I think he said for 30 years, um, off and on, but had only really been not gambling for the last 10. And he said that, you know, the only way that you're successful is just to keep going to meetings and try and improve your character and make a better life for yourself and be a better person. And I thought, well, they're all really good principles. Why wouldn't anybody want to do that? (laughs) So it really resonated with me um, and it helped me just to feel like it was possible to go and spend the rest of my life and not gamble. Yeah. So had any of your husband's AA rubbed off on you? 
Certainly he, my husband, um, I think the spiritual side of um, the Gamblers, uh, sorry, the Alcoholics Anonymous and also Gamblers Anonymous really resonated with him. He really connected to that um, higher power, probably more than I have. But having said that, I, I, I think that maybe I was more connected before anyway. So certainly seeing seeing how successful and how happy he could be and how well that meant that I could see that there was every chance that I would be successful at the same if I if I followed the program and do the steps and kept going to meetings. So it was, you know, and one of the guys said, well, when you think about how much time you'd spend in a week gambling, to give up two hours of your time on a Thursday night where you can sit and commune with other fellows in the same with the same minds as you, um, it's not too big an ask, not a big sacrifice of your time. And uh, I, I've certainly reaped the rewards of that fellowship. And, um, you know, I just... The other thing that struck me about the meeting, my first meeting, was how how they all were laughing and telling jokes. And I thought, wow, you know, I was thought this was going to be kind of, I don't know, more dark and... Sombre, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> more, more painful. I thought I was going to have to be punished and, um, and it wasn't like that. It was, it was, you know, an ability to see past the darkness, I suppose, and find the light and, and the happiness that you can have and the fact that they could just be, they were just friends and mates and I thought, my house is amazing. <laughs> So did you have a a better appreciation for your husband's drinking problem once you identified your gambling problem? I think I always had an appreciation for his drinking problem and, you know, it was difficult when the kids were growing up and, you know, they'd have their friends over and Grey would be drunk or um, my daughter one time, my husband was brought home from a party and between hung between two men and when he she answered the door and, they said, "Are you? Is this where he lives?" And she said, "No." <laughs> he lived down the road. Um, and of course, you know, they were upset. And and I can clearly recall just saying to my children that your father's a fantastic person. He's just a bad drinker. And you know, they were able to forgive him too. So I could always relate to his inability to control his drinking, as much as it was difficult and frustrating for me because. You know, it, it affected me such a lot. I I could still see that he didn't really have the ability to fix it, and um, and only going to AA has has ever you know has been the thing that's changed his life around, and and he's you know the man he is today. Thank thank God, happy and um, contented. Yeah, happy and joyous and free. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, so you've been in. Um, GA sort of two years or so? Yeah, two years next week it is. Yeah, oh, good. <laughs> That's <laughs> terrific. So what are the changes you've found in yourself? The first change that was the most was it was almost a physical sense of relief and distressing, like just feel like your whole body, I used to feel like my whole body was tense all the time. Um, so that physical feeling of not being so just anxious anxious all the time, that's gone, being able to sleep, just being able to have an honest conversation with someone where you're not trying to hide what you've been doing or have how much money you spent or anything, just, just being able to be honest, that, that's, that's a wonderful feeling. And, um, and also, you know, when we have quite a few young people come particularly young guys who come into GA who, you know, and I feel really sorry for them because gambling is so everywhere and becoming a culturally accepted behaviour and you can't watch the telly without ads about sports betting and, you know, betting on the football and the cricket and, and you know, they don't have a hobby or a, another outlet for their energies that they used to you know, put into the gambling. And so for me, I had my pottery and um, 
now whenever I've got a spare minute, that's where I spend my time and I find, you know, it's it's so relaxing and joyful and I make something and I turn around and I can't believe that I created it. Like it's a miracle. <laughs> and, <laughs> yeah, so it's, it's fabulous. And so, you know, my life is is richer, so much richer. And the time that I have, I, I can do... In a day, I can fit in so many things. If I'm not gambling, I can I can go for a walk and I can go to the stops and I can cook a meal and I can clean and I can still find time to do my pottery and I can read a book. And, you know, before I would have just sat with my iPad in my hand and, you know, four hours would have gone and I would have done nothing, nothing at all except sit there. And so just being able to enjoy my time is really wonderful, really wonderful. Yeah. So did you end up with any money problems from gambling? Uh, not really. Um, I, uh, not problems, but certainly I spent an enormous amount of money on nothing and I was just lucky that I didn't. we had the money. It wasn't money. I didn't have to... I, my, my gambling hadn't got me to selling things or stealing... So we didn't we didn't end up in financial problems, but you know we could have been a lot better off if I hadn't been gambling. We could have been a lot more comfortable, you know. We could have been sitting pretty, but anyway, we're both. That's something my husband's never ever said anything about that. Never wanted to punish me like that. <laughs> so yeah, I guess that's the thing that people have to appreciate that gambling like alcoholism is is an illness and that one of the symptoms of alcoholism is people drink and sim- symptoms of gambling is people gamble and lose money so yeah so how, how do you reconcile that um it's something i'm still trying to do um you know I've, the 12-step program still has to be worked i still need to go through all the all the steps and make amends and uh so i suppose in a way uh the first thing i had to do was i had to forgive myself i had to otherwise i couldn't i don't think i could have moved forward if the guilt had overwhelmed me so not having a husband who wanted to punish me uh it it was you know very very i've been very very lucky uh so the amends are still being made. I um, I try and be a better person. I try to be a better listener and, you know, a better mother and a better wife. Um, but these are all everyday things and um, every day I get up in the morning and try and be those things. Yeah, they're everyday things but they're not things that you practice for a while. No, that's true. That <laughs> was a bit rusty. <laughs> Yeah. But, but, you know, um, I think the thing about going to GA, besides the stopping the gambling, which, you know, thank goodness so far, I haven't had a bet for nearly two years and hopefully that's the way it remains. But the the other message is just, you know, about improving yourself and really that becomes the focus about how to be a better person and, you know, and to so that you don't fall back into those habits of gambling and you don't find the triggers that send you back to doing what you don't want to do, you know. You don't want to, you don't want to have to escape. You want to be happier in your life. Yeah. So has it changed your work in any way? i tell you what really has changed the way I think about my work <laughs> is this COVID circumstance. Because <laughs> I, 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 I have a job that I, I don't love, um, which is it for the first time in my life I have a job that I don't really love and uh, but it's I think the reason that I don't love it is it's not a particularly creative job uh, having said that I always thought that I was wanting to retire but since you know the COVID came and we were all sent home I discovered that that's not really what I want at all I don't think I'm ready now I quite like working again so <laughs> I've got a new appreciation for my job that's for sure and so, yes, I, I, I think that's my attitude's changed because, you know, I am lucky I have a job and, uh, and I hope I continue to have a job. 
Yeah, I, I think one of the things about recovery is that you you tend to be more grateful for um, for things. Mm. You appreciate things a lot more. I think you do, yeah. and you, but and you're also. I think the other thing is you're educated to look a bit at things a bit differently. You know, instead of um, maybe you did just you see the silver lining on the story that you maybe weren't aware of before. Well, you weren't looking for, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 If anybody would like to find out more about Gamblers Anonymous, then you can phone them in Victoria on 03 9696 or you can go online at gaustralia.org.au for more information and for meetings and local phone numbers. That's about all we've got time for today, so I'd like to thank Ange for sharing her gambling recovery story with us, uh, talking about how Gamblers Anonymous has helped her. Thanks, Ange. Thanks, Bill. It's been a pleasure. Uh, I hope you'll be able to join us again next week when we'll feature recovery from compulsive drinking and we'll be joined by Paul from Alcoholics Anonymous. Thanks for listening and stay tuned now for Alternative. And to take us out, we've got a song called Anything She Wants by the Russians. Listen to Hillbilly Fever every Saturday night from 11pm to 2am for classic country artists like Hank Williams, Moon Mullican, Lefty Vazell, Hank Snow and many more. Remember, Hillbilly Fever every Saturday night from 11pm only on 3CR.